Like, why 90 Day? I can't believe this show is that popular. This fucking 90 Day Fiance. Bro, I'm telling you, 90 Day Fiance is like, if you think your life is terrible, watching 90 Day Fiance will make you like, my life isn't that bad. I'm not, bu- I'm not being catfished by some Indian guy, right? Trying to take all my money, pretending to be something he's not, um, and other things like that. It's, it's just, it's uh, how would I describe it? Mental, mental candy. That's that's what it is. So basically, it's like Law and Order. Because yes. that's the only that's the only real reason people watch Law and Order. The only time I ever watched Law and Order, uh, I think after I turned eighteen. <laughs> Uh, when I was smart enough to like know what good writing was, it's like when I was just really tired. But the Law and Order is bad. <laughs> Have we not learned this? But especially in in the past year, how terrible these shows are. Like not only not only just terrible writing and and you know how it's propaganda and all that. I mean, yes, because especially SVU. But at the same time, though, SVU still slaps. I'm I'm not gonna lie. Well, first of all, I think they jumped the shark a long time ago. I mean, oh yeah, big facts. They, they the the day they jumped the shark was when uh, Olivia got uh was held hostage by the person who kidnapped her adopted daughter. Oh, I didn't even get I didn't even make it that far. Bro, like I've made it to season twenty two and stopped watching. Uh, I I stopped watching once they got rid of Stabler? Diane. No, Diane O'Neill's character. Oh, uh, the lawyer. The redheaded lawyer. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, like the thing about Law and Order for me, it's just like I stick it only when certain characters are around. Like I mean, mm. most people, uh, listeners right now, this is not endorsement Law and Order. Uh, <laughs> do not watch the show. Even if you like shows like Law and Order, if you like police procedurals, there are still better police procedurals. Brooklyn Nine Nine. Brooklyn Nine Nine. I mean, but Brooklyn Nine Nine is a comedy. Though. It's a that's, satire. But it still, it still does the police thing better. It, it, it does still do the police thing better. Yes, also, it does. Uh, well, even within Law and Order, you watch classic Law and Order, all right? Like Jerry Orbach, uh, Jesse L. Martin. Oh, uh, they were gonna say Anthony Anderson and the other guy. Oh no 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 no. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Jesse L. Martin, Jerry Orbach, because they had they had a very dry wit that they I did. really, I which I, I I learned a lot of my early writing from the sarcastic wit. Um, freaking uh, uh, Hang 'em High McCoy, you know Jack Waterston, uh, who, who's like the worst. He's a lawyer who should have been this far a million times over, but he's so entertaining. But also when he had uh, uh, Abby Carmichael as as the ADA, because she's like the the conservative lawyer. Yeah. I would say I would say token conservative, and we're not reflective of the actual creators. But putting that aside, they were actual. It it, it made it so there was actual conflict because there was them. conflict between them. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like SVU has jumped the shark, but the earlier seasons. When it was uh, Stabler and... Um, oh, that's the other thing. I thought the earlier seasons were better because they were more focused on uh, uh, John Munch. Yes. Then it became the Stabler show. Stabler and Olivia show. That's exactly what happened. Um, what's it called? But, like, they were still good, though. Like, they the, chemi- the chemistry was perfect, but then... Oh, then it got... Then it got the, the writing, which was never good, but it got really absurd. It got super absurd. It did. Like, uh, oh. like, like, if you look at Stabler's marriage, like he has issues. He always has issues. Juggling. He always had issues. But it, then he became just like, like, a, like a basically an abusive father, and all this abusive trauma just came out of nowhere from his past. I was like, all right, this is 
Well, I wouldn't say more like an abusive father. He was more of a, a neglectful father who tried to like do the fatherly thing for letting his daughter, I think, drive drunk and let the police. That, 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 that thing was stupid. That point. So even so, I bring it up because even within the ethos of Law and Order, like the appeal of Law and Order was that you don't care about the characters, right? You just care about the plot. Right? No, you're but, supposed to care about the characters. No, 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 Because no, no. you know, damn well, you was watching the original. Like, you started to care for Jesse O. Martin. You were like, yo, Jesse, don't go, don't no. go. Well, the whole thing is that the show, the appeal of that show, that's so formulaic and predictable, and you're only in it for plot stuff because they rarely ever focus on character stuff. Right? <laughs> I'm not saying this is a good thing. I'm saying it. You know, a very important part. I'm gonna tie it back to what we're t- tie it back to to intelligent comics criticism stuff. Yeah, the important part of criticism is you have to meet the creator where they're at, right? Understand what they're trying to do and see where they're succeeding. And they're right. all about we're gonna make something formulaic, plot-driven, you know, 60 minutes so people can get in out. All right, we're not gonna do characterization. <laughs> we're not gonna do themes. We're not gonna do subtext. And then the show, it actually tried to do that, but it did badly. So it's failing both sides now, right? The people who want actual character-driven something deeper, like me, we, we, we like, why would you? Why we just watch The Wire instead, right? Uh, right. So, no plug. If you, if you, that's the other thing. After you watch The Wire, you can. I could never watch a police procedure ever again. <laughs> like oh, it's just, on so many levels, it's not only how good it is, but also how awful. Terrible problem that shows are, but most of all because those shows are just so much better. The wire just, just the wi- I mean, yeah, because the wire blows the wire, everything out the wire. The wire is the watchman of police procedurals. Like, you cannot, it, it changed that genre. You cannot write a straight one like, like, like that again. I, I, I enjoy Southland, uh, when it, when it was on TNT. Uh, uh that, that was about the LA cops. Uh, I think that's the, is that the show with the guy from the LC? Yes, it is. Gotham. Yes. All right. I I bring it up because I started rewatching the OC. The OC. Oh, okay. See, uh, my well, thing... I probably lost all my credibility just now. About... I mean, yeah. I mean, well, I guess... the OC. Is the, o- the, o- 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 the OC is not a bad show. I mean, I wouldn't watch it, but it's not a bad show. Well, so first of all, I don't. If you first of all, it's better ninety day fiance, right? So I mean, yo, like I'm not watching ninety day fiance for any deep storytelling. I'm watching uh, these here, people here, like here, here, be miserable. Here's the, hottest, here's the hottest take that's gonna get me canceled, get me every, get everyone pissed at me. The OC is better than Gilmore Girls. I've I've never seen the OC, so I can't argue with it. But I've seen so, Gilmore so, Girls. So I would recommend, I highly recommend this video. There's a guy, a YouTuber I follow, very smart YouTube film essayist, Patrick Williams. He did a video about why the OC is great, and it's actually a very self-aware show. In the very beginning, it was. Uh, it actually incorporated a lot of like at the time, you know, nerd culture and a lot of subversions of the soap opera genre. The problem was after the first season, the creator left to do other things, and it became like an actual bad soap opera. Uh, but the first season is actually, it, it's actually, it's also critiquing the rich, and it's certain to a certain level. It's not fun. I mean, whatever. Uh, we're gonna do we're gonna do an OC episode. Now. <laughs> uh, there we go. There's 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 like comic book stuff I can work it in. Uh, yeah. Now, now you got me all worked up on the OC now. I mean, yo, you you got heated off of the OC. I don't know why. I mean, like I said before, I've seen Gilmore Girls. I'm not gonna say like I can honestly say watching Gilmore Girls like it's not a bad show, but they're all terrible human beings. 
Like that, 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 that is the run of the Gilmore Girls uh, universe. They're all terrible human beings. And the one person you think who isn't a terrible human being, you watch the sequel series and you find out, oh, she grew up into a terrible human being. So it all, it all, bal- it all like becomes a crazy vicious cycle. Speaking of terrible white people, do we have <laughs> something for you today? So, right, you listeners, you sat listen to us. Uh, why are these guys talking about TV? You know, we're talking about comics. Well, we're talking about TV because we're going to do something a little different today. We're going to talk about TV a cartoonist, a, car- a cartoonist whose comics got made into a TV show. Yes. Because, uh, you know, we like, like I said, the focus of this podcast is comics criticism, comics theory, and that's always going to be at the heart of it. But, you know, like Phil said, Early on, as our as our convenient app for us, we're, you know, there's some comic adjacent things that we would like to talk about and mix things up. Um, we're not gonna like go on. We're not gonna become one of those podcasts that like reacts to Infinity War. I despise those. Well, uh, it's we're not above it though. So if you pay us, if you if you want to hear us talk about Infinity War, you you gotta you know throw some money. Uh, Twenty bucks each at least. Each. At least, yeah, each. Yeah. We yeah, gotta so. eat. So if you if you pay us, we'll watch whatever you want. Uh, <laughs> I'll watch 90 Day Fiance. That would be at least hundred dollars. I would watch 90 Day Fiance for free, so that's fine. All right. Uh, but we're gonna do something a little different. Um, and we're gonna champion something that I think not a lot of people are actually aware of. Uh, so for those who don't know, there is a series on Hulu called Woke, uh, and it's based off the comics. Uh, and life of a underground comics of an ex-cartoonist named Keith Knight. Um, and I think, Phil, since you're actually more familiar with his work, why don't you, I'll let you give some background on him. And also, because you actually you actually met him at Dink, right? Yeah, I met him at Dink. Uh, it was very... Independent Expo, for those who don't know. Right, in uh, Denver, Colorado. Very... I'm not gonna lie, it was very shocking for him to approach me and know my name because I was like, "What?" It's like Keith Knight knows my name. Because so, uh, uh, for people who don't know, who is who is Keith Knight? Uh, Keith Knight is a he's a black cartoonist, uh, originally from the um, what is it called? Massachusetts. He's originally from Massachusetts and had moved to San Francisco uh, to be an artist. Uh, he is very well known for his uh, comic strip, The K Chronicles, which ran from, uh, what was that, the early 2000s, I want to say, up until, mm, I don't know, up until, I think, currently, essentially, because he never really stopped drawing comics. Like, uh, you know, comics and uh, newspapers is not really a real thing anymore. But he has done some work for the NIV, which is um digital online comic strip uh, publisher that, of course, do, uh, they do political satire. So he also, done... I think, if anyone does, who's not in, anyone outside of that realm, he does actually illustrate a series of children's books or children's uh, cart- comics. Uh, I've seen them. The Barnes and Noble. When I say I've seen them, I mean I see them in the database because of course <laughs> the Barnes and Noble I used to work at would never carry his work. Okay. Uh, but how would you what would you say what would how would you describe his comics in terms of his style and content? Oh, I mean, well, his extremely cartoony. Like, I mean, it's like everyone who draws comic strips are extremely cartoony. Yes, I know, but like he just has a very distinct style that you know that you're reading a Keith Knight 
uh, comic strip. And in terms of his story, he's he's very political. Um, he talks about politics within America, and he talks about being black within political America as well. Um, like I know one of my favorite strips is the uh, one he did where he talks about uh, being black and being and the idea of speaking proper. Right, because like, what the hell is that? I'm speaking English. Like, the hell speaking proper? Um, you know, because like everyone, everyone speaks the king's English, right, Eric? Uh, queen's English for sure. Oh yeah, it <laughs> hasn't been the king's English for a very, very, very long time. At least before World War II. Yeah, that's true. But uh, yeah, it's just really cool slice of life. Uh, a uh, political comics that he's done. Uh. Very humorous satire, uh, really done in black and white. Uh, he's done tons of uh, anthologies uh, through his Think. So it's like TH with two uh, parentheses around it and then ink afterwards and a thought bubble. Um, I actually and, went and got one of them from the library here. Oh, which one did uh, you get? Red, white, black, and blue. Okay. Uh, it was actually, it was actually, they're actually pretty good. I mean, the issue is that they're all. They're all from 2000. This was published 2004. It's a lot of push air stuff. Oh. Uh, so some of it is just like, man, this is really quaint now in a post-Trump world. Okay. Uh, but yeah, some there were some strips. There were some cartoons that actually made me laugh, which is no easy feat because you know I have a pretty selective jaded. sense of humor. Yeah, he's pretty jaded. That's what he. Pretty means. jaded, but also like, <laughs> I, it's really hard to do one-panel cartoons well. It is. Uh, they're always hit or miss. Uh, mm-hmm. But there were a few that were really that were like um, a couple ones I really liked was uh, Bush's trickle down theory and he's on a pedestal peeing on the masses. Uh, another one I really liked was you know he's very very left uh, you know at the height 2004 is the height of the Iraq War the Bush administration uh, you know 9/11 jingleism. Uh, another one I really liked was uh, Democrats are changing their mascot. And uh, it's to a jellyfish. <laughs> they don't have a spine to oppose Bush. Which uh, I, that made me respect Keith Knight a lot. Uh, in the era of people who are, you know, vote blue no matter who, you know, never Trump. And people are conveniently forgetting that the Democrats are just as complicit and sometimes even worse than the Republicans when it comes to many areas, but in race relations in particular. No. It's funny. I saw a uh, a meme on Twitter where it was like Republicans were like, uh, what is it? Uh, dang, I can't remember. It said, what, what was the meme? It said Republicans. Oh, it said Republicans. Get these blacks out of here. And then it said Democrats. Get these blacks out of here. It's she slash her. And there's. There's a lot of good memes about that. People would become very disillusioned with the establishment, corporate, centrist Democrat. And if any, any listener listening to that is offended, uh, you can go fuck yourselves right now. Uh, but, so yeah, Keith Knight, very six, you know, uh, award-winning, too. A lot of, K Chronicles, I looked up, I think it won a uh, Harvey Award. Yes, it did. It did win a, it won a Harvey Award in uh, 2007. And he also won uh, an, an NAACP uh, award in 2015. Uh, I mean, that's a little... I, I have some experience about the NAACP now. For those who don't know, look up 
uh, Prop 20, was it Prop 22? The, the recent proposition in California what about it? like, uh, it's like Uber and those type of companies. They were, uh, they basically launched like a woke campaign. Like, oh yeah, vote against this. We've always supported black drivers or whatnot. And people forget like what it's saying is that it takes away the right to unionize. Oh, wow. Yeah, Prop 22. And I, and I bring it up because like the person championing that was, it, it was this they were endorsed by they as an Uber and all those people and Lyft. They were endorsed by the head of the California chapter, the NAACP. Yeah, I see that California NAACP president aids corporate prop campaigns, collects 1.2 million in counting. Jesus. Yeah, so you know, I, I'm a little you gotta be a little skeptical of this stuff, but this is exactly what the show Woke talks about. Uh, so I have to admit, uh, Phil had to convince me to talk, had to talk me into watching the show at first. Yes, I did. I saw, I saw the ads on Hulu, and I assumed this was just like another, you know, performative, oh, we support Black History Month in a very shallow corporate way. Uh, but he told me, like, no, this is actually more like closer to dear white people. It is, talks about these race relations, but it's also kind of critical of it at the same time and offers a nuanced take on it. Uh, so what we're gonna do? What we're gonna do? We're gonna watch two episodes, me and Phil, and I'm gonna t- we're gonna take a page from uh, Kevin Smith's commentary when he watches movies. We're going to you're gonna hear us do a commentary, and you know we're gonna do two episodes. We're going to turn the sound off and have subtitles on. This way, it forces us to actually talk about the show instead of just watching it. Mm. And if this is successful, and you know people respond to this, then we'll probably do you know more stuff like this. This is one of the ideas me and Phil have talked about uh, doing other, you know, interesting adaptations of of comics, of TV and movies. Uh, Uh, Particularly anime, because I feel like we haven't done a manga, and I really want uh, Eric to watch uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I I watched like two seasons, and it was fine. Was it the first two seasons, or was it season three and season four and season five? I stopped after two seasons, the first season. Oh, okay. See, like, you you love Persona, right? And, like, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is clearly a direct inspiration. Uh, my problem... Oh, God, this is where I'm going to get really canceled by all the JoJo stands. Uh, my problem is that the show is just still shonen. <laughs> oh, gosh. I, I, you know, I'm not a big shonen guy. I'm sorry. And this is, like, very... Fully embraced. Anyways, because you know, okay, so I will admit, yes, the first three seasons are very shonen. I I will admit that. But once it gets past that third season, it becomes something completely different. All right, it's well, I keep saying three seasons. It was the it was two seasons, and then from there we get uh four. What was it? Uh, damn it, what is it called? Uh, what are they called? Damn it, I can't remember. They're called. Well, Whatever. Uh, uh, right. We get all oh, parts. We get parts. So like part four becomes season three. Part five is season four. I'm still waiting for my favorite parts five, five and six. Stone Ocean and uh, Steel Ball Run. Those are my favorites. All right. You know, well, listen. Shout, shout, shout out to all my my uh, Jolene Cujo fans out here. All right. Well, if listeners really want me to watch JoJo, uh, y'all y'all the pay some money. <laughs> write us in, write us in, write us, don't call us, send us a mail. <laughs> if someone sends me, like, an actual letter, <laughs> send me some snail mail, and then I'll watch it. All right, that's someone who really cares. That's that's dedication right there. All right. 
So we're going to watch two episodes of Woke. We're going to watch the pilot and uh, episode, is it? It was, uh, what was it? It was. Five or six? It was episode five. Yeah. Um, quick premise on the show for those who, for those who don't know, it's basically uh, based on a on Keith Knight, but it's spelled K E E F. Keith. Keith Knight, played by a uh, actor named Lavon Morris, who is from. Uh, I'm gonna be honest, I didn't rec- I didn't know I knew any of these cast members are other than Rose McIver. This should say you something about the type of TV I watched. I didn't other. I did not recognize. Most of the cast members, but I recognize all the voice actors. Because mm. uh, the, the voice actors are like actual, they actually got big names. They got Keith David, Chris Summer. Keith David, they got Chris Summer, they got Cedric the Entertainer, they got JB Smooth. Yeah. So the thing about Woke, uh, so it's based on, you know, Semi Autobiographical, based on both his life in San Francisco and uh, his comics. Uh, what's kind of cool about Woke is that it's kind of, Partially animated. A lot of the cartoon characters he draws in this show come to life, start speaking to him. People call this animated comedy. I wouldn't go that far. It is partially animated. Uh, and essentially, uh, call it, I would call it a sitcom with uh, a dramatic sitcom with animate animated elements. That's a good way. So, uh, that's a good way to put it. So basically, the the basic premise of the show is just like you know he's a struggling cartoonist living in San Francisco. Eventually, gets woke after. Uh, well, so. uh, I wouldn't say he's struggling. He's a, a well, I guess he was a struggling cartoonist on the cusp of becoming big time. Yeah. But due to an incident with the police, which is based on uh, real incidents in his in Keith Knight's life. Right. He realized the pretty bubble, the the rose colored world he was living in, wasn't truly what it was. So then he becomes woke and see things for what they really are. Yeah, and it's just him trying to deal with that struggle with just like both overt racism but also microaggressions and navigating the complicated perils of that while at the same time you know he's got love issues he's got money issues he got yes. backing friends i don't know we'll be talking more i think we should i think we should, we should get away with the first one maybe talk a little more in between all right let's go ahead also i should point out for warning uh both me and phil we have hulu with ads <laughs> so we'll have, we're gonna have to talk here to come up with it. So let's time it. So uh, three. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. So three, two, one. PBMA Hulu. Regular discussion advice. There's not really swearing, but I was surprised to see nudity in the show. I will tell you that. Uh, I don't remember there being any nudity in this show. Well, it's nudity from Rose McIver, which I thought was uh. Well, we'll talk about it later. Was there? Because that's. I just remember seeing her butt. I don't remember seeing like a nipple or anything. Oh man. Well, we'll see. I remember I was shocked because she was like, "Hey, it's a former Power Rangers showing showing her breasts." Oh wow. Okay. Never mind. All right. I... Anyways. All right. So let's go. So like we have the t- so right here. We see some comics right here. He's drawing on a the same type of Bristol board I use, which I made me very happy. Yes, the the Stathmore uh, Bristol, which is uh, a common common art uh, paper people normally draw on when doing comics because. Bristol is very absorbent of ink, right? Um, I think my thing with this, though, is that he uses a Sharpie to do uh, his black placement, which is cool, but, like, he also uses a Sharpie for everything. And not just any Sharpie, he uses a fine Sharpie. So, clearly, this man's uh, hand uh, weight is, like, 
immaculate because he's able to shift between those thins and thick and thins. Um, which I mean, I'm very jealous for. That's why I use a brush because I, I can't do that with a fine point uh, sharpie. But now we're moving on to uh, him going to the uh, publishing company that t- his comic in the f- in the series Toast and Butter is about to blow up with them, right? Because they're uh, doing so this funny, big funny, press. Funny story I should mention because I was really not familiar with this guy of work at all. I thought Toast and Butter was a real comic. Oh my <laughs> <He> goodness! <did. laughs> so for those like totally here, Toast and Butter is basically like a like a Garfield like cartoon. It's very inane. It's not political or cult. it doesn't really talk about anything. Very, it's very light, you know. It's kind of like, like I said, it's a Garfield. You read it, haha, but it doesn't deal with anything heavy. See, it, like that's, the, but that's the thing though, right? It doesn't. Do, he in his mind doesn't see it as doing anything heavy, but because he is a black man drawing cartoons, right? That seems to have like little tiny hints of like political overtones in it. People tend to think that he's saying something. Well, I shouldn't say that. Black people tend to think he's like saying something in terms of like mocking how white people react to certain things. And white people like it because they're not offended by it. So there's this weird dichotomy going on that he created the he essentially created the perfect comic. Uh, and that they're reading they're, and they're basically projecting what they think on it and not what he he his own attentions are, which is you know it's always a very complicated thing to do with art. Once you put it out, once you put it out there, you can't control how people react or what to do with it. True, which is a hard lesson to learn. Uh, at the same time, I would take the stance that art is not democracy, and that is it's ultimately your work, and you should do whatever you want with it. Right. But then again, when the literary criticisms come come through and like you know calculate that you know toast and butter is supposed to be rep- a representation of the id and the super ego, uh, <laughs> const- constantly in battle. All right. So this part, uh, I thought this is going to only be in San Francisco could this happen. Is that this? This underground cartoonist walks into a comic book store, like a full-on like like comic book guy comic book store, and then he's welcome. <laughs> you know, not just catering to super like only only in a place like San Francisco, which has a story San Francisco comics history, could but someone like him visit a place like that. Yeah, honestly, looking at this right because I mean we've been to San Francisco numerous times. I was trying to figure out where this uh, bookstore was. I think it might be. It feels like it might be comic experience. Over wait, you think so? It seems like it, uh, or based on it. It like does. It's definitely, it's definitely one of those, uh, probably like North. And, like, and anyone who lives in San Francisco, please feel free to correct this because neither of us know, are from there. But yeah. It feels like yeah, some of those, some of the ones, the smaller stores in North San Francisco. Mm. Uh, I will say that I am not a fan of the city because of how expensive it is. <laughs> uh, but I love all the comics, the comic store, the comic book culture. I thought it was fantastic. You know, it's very funny, like really thinking about it. Where, uh, you know, I think of Portlandia, and they're like, "Oh, the '90s are alive in Portland." Like, like that's that's the big idea. But it's te- true, 100 true. No yeah, but technically, I feel like Savannah and San Francisco are in like this weird dichotomy state, where like San Francisco is like trying to look towards the future while staying within the past because of the hipsters and yeah. then and then savannah now because it's a college town uh it's stuck in this weird because of you know pop culture right it's stuck in this weird part of like late 70s to like the early 2000s so that's essentially like 
Star Wars all the way to uh, <laughs> some sort of movie. Uh, there you go. Okay, so the thing about it, this is probably the most unrealistic part of the show. That both me and Phil can say this because we are ourselves working cartoonist comic artists. That this is set in the modern day, but uh, he's trying to sell his comic strip to like a, a, a publisher. Right. Which would not happen in 2019 when this, when this movie was being filmed. That is something from, that could only really happen in like the 70s, 80s, maybe early 90s. I would say the early 90s. Early 90s had a big boom of uh, comic strips because that, yeah. that was. Like Doonesbury, I think Doonesbury came yeah, out. Yeah, early. yeah, yeah. And that—that's kind of the area he came, he, the area he came up from. I think a lot of his, his friends and contemporaries of like the Doonesbury creator, um, Aaron Magruder, maybe. I mean, they just didn't drop him in the show. Yeah, Aaron Magruder came out late '90s, early 2000s. Like he came out like during that Bush era. Yeah, but I would say yeah. Then if anyone watching this doesn't know anything about comics, like that's the most unrealistic element of the show they have yeah, a, a launch yeah. party yeah. for your for your comic strip being first of all no one you keep, no one no newspapers newspaper privity is we all know is dead okay. <laughs> today this would be on like on instagram or on twitter you know right and that's the thing i found was the most telling of this is from keep nights era is that this guy has no social media presence whatsoever yeah which was <laughs> well, also very weird yeah if keith k-e-f night uh were to be a comic today he'd be He'd be in like anthologies, he'd be at all these Dean Fests, you know, he'd be on the Nib, he'd be on Instagram, but he's just like, you know. And, and you know, it's not it's not really that important the show needs to go onto that. I think that's kind of necessary to what the the real issues and and stuff that's going on, but you know, yeah. just just throwing it out there, all right? This I mean, the one thing, it's the one thing me and Phil can legitly call ourselves experts in. <laughs> right, because we're, we're, we're both struggling artists. So. Yes. Yeah. Right. Emphasis on the struggling. So, like, I think this is like, though the beginning seems very slow to like kick off the idea of the story, it does do a lot of great showing rather than telling us what's happening uh within like Keith's journey because we can clearly see like all right this this wasn't like an overnight success like he's been he's truly been building up for this um it's just like when he crashes he crashes extremely hard and uh like the opening before the whole uh title card which is beautifully illustrated kind of reminds me of the eye zombie title card um they find a white woman's wallet in the middle of the street and like you know keith knight being the upstanding citizen in the rose colored glasses he's like we got to turn this into the police clovis his best friend you know also a black man is like no because they're going to think we tried we were the ones who tried to steal it so we just got to leave <laughs> it where we found it and he's like wait what you can't judge a wallet by the color of their skin and clovis takes it and just chucks it like, yeah fuck all that uh i, which I really enjoyed uh, <laughs> it's really it's really kind of funny when you're when I started watching it, I did look up a lot of the, uh, the critical reception and reviews. Yeah. It was generally positive. Like, it was favorable. Most pe- more people liked it and disliked it. Okay. But the ones who did, I thought their criticism of the show was really strange. Okay. Uh, mostly, it was basically saying the, the common thread was that after George Floyd, because this show premiered very soon after that. Very soon after it, yeah. They said, like, this show just feels behind. Which I thought was like, well, that's not the show's fault, you know. <laughs> this is like this show was made in twenty. This show was filmed in twenty nineteen, so I thought that was 
the most the most scathing criticism I heard was by a black TV critic. Mm-hmm. He said it was uh, too obsessed with making white people comfortable. Was it? Oh, uh, I mean, in, in that guy's opinion, uh, I think it's, it's, I think it sounded like he wanted the show to be much more radical. And interesting. Kind of, kind of, because like, because like the scene that we're watching right now, right, where Keith is being accosted by the the police, and like he's on the floor, right, being being handcuffed and treated like he's not, he's less than, and then his white friend running over and pushing the cop, and he's yelling at his friend, he's like, no, don't do that, they're going to kill you. But the white cop is not is not doing anything. They're not putting up a re- resistance or anything. They're they're just letting his white friend push him, and then from there, that's when it clicks into his mind and i honestly sat there and watched this for the first time and i was like yo this is the greatest way to show something like this yeah and also anything to, to, to underline more all he was doing was putting up posters for his launch so like the weapon in his hand quote unquote, was just a nail gun <laughs> no it was even a nail gun it was a stapler he had paper that paper and a stapler and they're like he he's got a weapon drop the weapon yeah uh, so yeah, that that criticism I thought was a very strange. Uh, it's not. I will say it's not a perfect show. You know, there it's are not. times where it's, it's, it's there are times it's uneven. It's there are some jokes I thought were a little labored, but like that that I thought was a very. Uh, I, I, it's like I think this is like a. I think it's like at first it's like a be a little Malcolm X right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think mean, it's as someone who who is uh, probably who's a big fan of Malcolm X. <laughs> like I watch I watch I watch that movie. Spike Lee one, and I was like, turned to, I was turning, you know, I turned to Phil, I was like, like, yeah, Phil, you know, white people, like, down with the white, down with the white man, down with white people. It's uh, like, I, you know, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna convert, I'm gonna become a black Muslim. You go, <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, man. Anyways, oh, so this, this part I really enjoyed. This was a conceit that I thought was a little tacky at first, but then uh, I enjoyed it more as the show went on. So these inanimate objects start talking to Keith. Uh, and they have like the cartoon eyes, they have like cartoon mouths. And yeah, we heard like two uh, 40, 40 ounces. I think they're Keith, I think that's Keith David, right? Uh, uh, no. I, get I don't know who's voicing them. I don't know. I know the the female voices, voice, I think that's Cree Summer. Yeah. I don't know who the, the guy voice is. I don't think it's Keith David though. Okay. Because um, wasn't Keith look- David the voice of the garbage bin? I thought that was Cedric the Entertainer, but we'll we can double check later. Oh wait, no, yeah, no, that was Cedric the Entertainer. I don't yeah. know who the other one. This, this is this is the one drawback now of the whole turning the sound off thing. Yeah, uh, can't hear the voices, so we can't be like, yo, that's so and so from so and so. Yeah, uh, Chris Summer, for those who don't know, terrific voice actress. Uh, uh, she Max was Freddy in different world. Yeah, different world, right? Yeah, she was Max on uh, Batman Beyond. Yeah, she was uh, Princess. What's her name in Atlantis? Oh, uh, I don't remember her name. Uh, I'm pretty sure Disney doesn't either, because that, that movie bombed. All right, now we have our it first did, two. But it, was, it was still a fantastic movie. All right, commercial. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's it called? She also played number five in Kids Next Door. Uh, she has a very distinctive voice. Like, if you hear it, like, you probably won't know her name, but you will recognize the voice. Yeah, it's a very, it's very nasally, but at the same time, gravelly. I, I, it's, it's very, yeah. it's very but weird, it's, but very iconic. Still- but still also very smooth. Like, yes. Uh, like, um, The Expanse, Sharae, I got to butcher her last name. Her voice. The, uh, who plays uh, Christian? Uh, Avicera? Oh, Abbas, oh Abbas, Abbas Yeah, I, I don't know her real name. 
Oh, uh, and we're back to the show. Oh, really? My my ad's still going. <laughs> oh yeah, they're in the uh the conference right. room. You probably want to pause it then, so I can catch up. Okay. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> right. I think this will probably be the last movie show we do. <laughs> I'm watch, now watching fucking Mini Calig sell me on HelloFresh. Oh wow. I, which, I, that's funny. Uh, which I actually briefly considered trying the whole prepackaged meal kit. I heard HelloFresh is like the worst one. And now, see, my ads are really long. It's a lot of money. Uh, now I'm watching an ad for some animated movie. <laughs> uh, is it Evangelion? Raya the Last Dragon. And the Last Dragon. Oh, that's that's the that's a Pixar that. that's a Pixar film. Okay, you can turn it back on yeah, and the show's back now. Okay. Yeah, we're never we're not gonna do a show after this. Or at least yeah. or at least listeners should gonna give us money so me and Phil can upgrade to no ads for a month. Right. Oh, uh, so here we go. He he's in the meeting with toast the toast and butter no the syndicate the the, the publishing here talking about you know offering him all these deals and whatnot. Uh. You know, the they have their own toasted butter bread loaf, but Keith here is too distracted, too rattled by what just happened to him. Right. So I think my favorite part about this, right, is the idea of uh you know, going through this meeting, like they're all excited of the numbers, you know, the 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 marketing potential of toast and butter, right? Because that's what it all comes down to. Also point out uh, these two publishing people, neither of them are black. So uh, they're not, but the but the woman is like is uh it's, it's something. I, I don't know what she is. She could be uh, uh, Latina ethnic, or she could be Asian. Ethically ambiguous. I think yes. it's a fair. Yes, that's, that's exactly what it is. And he shows a, he shows a picture of himself that they, they, they took uh, during the photo shoot in the opening before the uh, opening credits. And like they lightened his face yeah. to make him look more, you know, pal- palatable to the general audience, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, which is which, which is, is always, which is always it's a great joke, but also, and I don't mean it to defend like people who do that for racist reasons. Uh, it is actually kind of hard to do that when you're shooting photography and get the lighting right because it's gonna go to print. I will say that like you do sometimes have to make minor adjustments to correct for that. I mean, of course you do, but it also comes down to lighting as well. If you understand lighting, especially if you know how to light darker skin, then you don't have to do such heavy-handed color uh, corrections. Which they clearly did. Right, so like uh, Insecure, right on HBO, they do fantastic lighting on uh, on skin, whether it's light or dark, and it's fantastic. Um, this 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 scene is very funny to me because uh, oh yeah, the barber shop. The barber shop is called Darnell's Barber Shop. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna walk in and get a haircut. He walks in, it's all these hipster white guys with like you know the suit cupped over, and like he sees a picture of Malcolm X. The the black uh chart of like different black hairstyles you can you can get and okay, they're like Ebony, Ebony magazine Ebony magazine Ebony magazine yeah yeah but yeah the, this you know his favorite neighborhood black owned barbershop is gentrified out by white <laughs> hipsters I found that to be I this is my favorite scene in the whole series actually now with the talking trash can with the talking trash can yeah they do they're about to do like a do the whole, do the right stuff parody. Yeah, which I watched last year for the first time, and I ended up really do the right stuff. You mean do the right thing? Do the right thing. Sorry, it's okay. So, all right, do the right thing. I really ended up loving that movie more than I expected to. Mm. 
Because uh, the, the beginning is, it was really hard for me to say to you, because it was just like, this is like a really cheesy comedy. And then it began, like, why is this like this classic cinema? Then it got to the last 20 minutes, like, oh, okay, that's why. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, uh, and and the, and the trash can is basically, you know, telling, he, he's encouraging him to, to, pull <laughs> to throw him at the window. Yeah, throw. But the thing about between do the right, uh, do the right thing is that this is like a modern day huge plastic trash can. <laughs> and he, and, first of all, he, he has trouble lifting it. And then when he throws, yeah, he throws. <laughs> he runs away. <laughs> yeah. And also the fact that they start playing, they start playing the the theme, the opening the, theme. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I love this. <laughs> yeah, oh. it just bounces right off. I thought this perfectly, like this scene perfectly sums up the tone of the show, in my opinion. It does. It really does. Um, because because like at first you see like little hint, uh, hints and stuff like the the picture, the the graffiti, the mural of the the woman with the afro, her eyes open from the window, the the two forty ounces talking to him, but like that right there, like it sums it all up. Yeah, you know, and this is a show that's dealing with really heavy shit, you know, really heavy relevant stuff. But it's uh, nice not take it's not it's no that's it knows not to take itself too seriously. Yeah, which but. Is, I, uh, so, opinion, a very good approach. So going back to the uh, uh, going back to the the lightning of the photo, right? So there again, like he's he's still in the good graces of the the publishing company, and so they lighten his photo. But later on, right? Because we're only gonna watch this episode and episode five, so we skip that episode. He goes back to the publishing company, and they put his photos as like someone do not enter. And for his photo, <laughs> the same picture, but instead they like darken it to the point where it's almost damn near blackface. And they're the ones who need to get woke. Uh, I say this ironically because Hulu is, you know, a corporate itself, uh, like corporate <laughs> wokeness show. Uh, like, do not, do not get me started the hypocrisy of like Jeff Bezos, you know, Amazon putting Black Lives Matter on their homepage. Meanwhile, the Amazon workers unionizing. Uh, at his factories, one of which was a black. <laughs> They're like trying to shut them down. Mm-hmm. So like Black Lives Matter, except for the one who work for Amazon. Uh, you know, but like you know, like I said, this is well, it's why I enjoy the show. It's it's a very nuanced take on you know performative activism and what actually what it takes to actually change things in a way that materially helps black and other people of color. <laughs> Uh, now the spoon on the television is uh, talking to him, and apparently whoever, you know, her ancestors, this white woman comes on with this giant African spoon. Uh, apparently the the people who kidnapped him uh, raped horses. Yeah, so that was something I also enjoyed. Uh, something that I never really thought about, like that, like that. The antique show, whatever that that, that that show was on PBS, that like they just go outside. And, and, oh, antique uh, roadshow. Show. Yeah, like yeah, you, uh, you know, like a lot of these, a lot of what we see in museums and stuff, like they're they're cultural artifacts. Mm. They were pillaged and robbed by you know colonizing forces. As uh, as you know, Black Panther. So yeah, the Killmonger scene. Yeah. yeah, he's like, y'all want to purchase this? Like, but sir, it's not for sale. Oh uh, yeah, so you know. Uh, Keith, you know, very conflicted character right now. You know, he's struggling with what's how to deal with the stuff that's happening, and he's not exactly sure. Uh, he's also like kind of pushing his girlfriend away 
you know, it's, it's, his first girlfriend doesn't get used all that much. Not, I think some, well, I think some, I mean, like one or two people. <laughs> one of the people, two people complain about the show is like that he, he breaks up with his black girlfriend and dates a white woman. Which, to be fair, like he married the, the German woman. So, like, you know, this this is semi-autobiographical, so. Yeah, that's the other, that's the thing I always have issue. Like, when it's fiction, you know, people can interpret your work and whatnot. When it's non-fiction, it's like, okay, this is, this is, this is what, this is based on his real life, so. What do you think, what do you think about his roommates? You like his, I, no, I'm going to ask the white, but his white roommate really annoyed me. <laughs> uh, I mean, yes and no, like, it's very funny because he himself is trying to understand his own white privilege, which, you know, I, I respect. Uh, it's also very funny, you know, in the opening scenes, like, he literally invented cocaine because uh, <laughs> it was a powder form any energy drink, but it was, it's literally cocaine. And uh, Clovis is supposed to be that the, the black voice of reason, right, Of in terms of, like, understanding these things were always happening. You're just hip to it now. So, he, you know, he has to let them know. And they also have kind of their own subplots. Well, not the white guy. Not, the white guy, not really. Uh, but, like, Columbus, you know, he's also, like, later on in the season, he's, like, trying to hit on women and failing. Yeah, and, because and he gets, like, his own minor thing about how he seems to be, like, in a slump and he can't get, he can't pick up any women. Yeah. Uh, which which uh, I, forgot, I forgot to mention, uh, there is, uh, I don't remember her name in the show, but the the activist publisher person oh, yeah. yes. Yes, played by um she was on SNL. I don't know her name. She was on SNL. Uh, I say this that I didn't know who she was at the time and I looked her up and I was like, oh yeah, I've seen her on SNL. Ayanna Presley, I think that's her name. No, that's not I don't I don't look this up. I'm gonna feel guilty. Yeah, go ahead. Uh but she she's also I like her character a lot on the show. Uh I think also the actress player is genuinely funny. Yes, I mean she she does a great job. But I forgot my original point. Oh yeah, the the white character. I don't know. I he I I think it's probably a difference where you are versus where I am. Where cause I live in Portland, there's a bunch of it's a bunch of woke white people who claim they're aware of their privilege and they really aren't as aware of it as they think they are. Uh, I like mean, I said, there's, like there's running, I mean, like I said, there's a running joke about Portland. It's a city where there are more Black Lives Matter signs than there are black people. Uh, I believe that. Yeah. And like I mean the 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 actor I don't mind him. I enjoyed him in Dope and uh Workaholics. Okay. So you do you actually recognize these actors from more things I have not seen any of them in, in the things I watch mm-hmm. except for Rose McIver. Yes, I mean Rose McIver because of Gunther, that's the name. There we go. It's very white. Yes, very Gunther. White. There you go from from Workaholics. So this is the thing. Uh I personally thought this was the weakest element of the show. He he breaks up with his girlfriend of like a couple of years. And the problem is that like we we were only introduced to her this episode. So this like like this has no impact on us. I mean, but the idea is that we have an understanding that he's been with her for X amount of years. They're planning with this deal to move in together at with the new within a new home. Oh, and right? I have another ad. <laughs> yeah, I'm me too. And, like, it just so happened to blow up within his face. See, but my ads are only, like, 30 seconds long. This ad uh, is minute, minute 20. Oh, wow. So you have super long ads. Yeah, it really annoys me. But, yeah, you know, I get, I get, I get what she was wrong. Like, he has commitment issues because that's just kind of his character arc. 
in the show, right? He's, like, right. he's comfortable. He lives in a bubble. He doesn't want to like deal. He's avoiding reality of different aspects, you know, not just like racial, you know, microaggressions all that, but also his own reality. His <laughs> own reality, yeah. He like he he can't come to terms with what happens to him. Well. He didn't under he can't he did it he doesn't understand how to come to terms with what happens to him. That's 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 more appropriate. So so, so this is uh it has they give me two ads at a time. I don't know, maybe it's because maybe honestly, I think it's because you have Hulu Live, so they or don't you pay extra for Hulu? Uh yes, I do pay extra for Hulu. Because I have I do have Hulu Live because I, I decided to cut the cord. I was tired of giving my money to Xfinity. So I think that's why they give you uh, fewer and shorter ads than me. Mm, okay. They're trying to entice me in, but I won't. So <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, you gotta fight that urge, man. Well, because like, well, like if I were to subscribe to anything, I would subscribe to HBO Max. That's that's the best library in my opinion. Uh, I did. Oh, like in terms of HBO Max now, right? Because of everything that's going on here within woke, I did watch a uh, documentary. Uh, what was it called? The black black artists um, uh, creating within the dark. I believe it's it was the name of it. Speaking of dark, we have someone dressing up as Toast from his comic. <laughs> White. Oh guy. yeah. But uh, creating blackface. Yeah, 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 yeah. Accidental blackface, but blackface nonetheless. And now now he's imagining his two characters talking to him, uh, Toast and Butter. Oh, you started playing again. My fault. Let me oh, yeah. go ahead. And... Yeah, this is the last. Yeah, this is definitely the last time we do a movie show. And as his white friend is uh, selling cocaine. Yeah. All right. Should I should I pause on the ticket? Because now he's talking to his fan. No, um, I'm good. All right. Well, well, I mean, the show's this episode's almost over. Yeah, it's almost over. So here's a funny story uh, to allow listeners to mock me and to fail to laugh at me. Always. Uh, so, like, you know, Phil, he was telling me well, after Dink, he was telling me about, you know, Keith Knight and his, like, really big name in, you know, underground comics, that world. And I was like, oh, and then I watched the show. I was like, oh, wow, this guy's really cool. And I, but I'm like, wow, he's, like, Phil knows all about him, but I've never heard of him. And I said, okay, that's racism in comics, you know. <laughs> I never heard of any of these black creators. Then I'm talking to my buddy Pete, uh, who's a white guy who over in San Francisco, and I was talking to the show about, whoa, because, like, yeah, you know, this cartoonist at Keith Knight. I was like, oh, yeah, I know him. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, me, my buddy, he was like, the, he's a nice guy, cool guy, very aware of his words. But he's like the whitest guy I know, literally, because he's got, he's like blonde hair, blue eye. He's, he's you know, Swedish ancestry. <laughs> like, even he knows who's this black cartoonist that I did it. And I felt, <laughs> I felt a little shame, I will admit. That's very funny. I mean, like, honestly, when he, for me, it was, uh, when I was doing my undergraduate at SCAD and uh, trying to think about, like, uh, black cartoonists, right? Because I, I personally didn't know very many. I knew Keith Knight, I knew Aaron McGregor, and that was about it at, at that point, in the very beginning anyways. Um, and going to SCAD, right, sometimes I'd be in a class where I'm the only black guy. I think it wasn't until the very end where it was like three black guys, three, three well, not just three black guys, it was like three black guys, and two black women in in the in the same room. I was like, oh snap! This is the most amount of black people I've seen in my major, um, <laughs> in in one room. 
and like this, it this was senior year. This is your senior year. Yeah, this is my senior year. So prior to that, I was I was feeling I'm not gonna lie, I was feeling kind of depressed because I'm like, man, like who who are these uh black artists that like I I because I have artists I look up to, but I didn't really know any black ones, or maybe I did know black ones, I just didn't know that they were black. Like Sean Martinborough was like one of my biggest uh comic heroes. I would I would say, uh, he drew. Luke Cage, Noir, he drew Batman, uh, he drew Black Panther, Man Without Fear, um, he did that really great, uh, DC Comics of Batman with, uh, Christopher Peace called the, uh, what was it called? The Free? About Batman going into a black neighborhood, and I posted on my Twitter the, the, a scene of it where Black... I saw that, I saw that, I retweeted it. Yes, where Batman walks up to these two black kids and he's like, "Yo, who is that?" He's like, "I don't know, some white guy in a cape." Because that's that's what essentially superheroes are within these uh these uh DC comics, right? You don't see these going around in like black neighborhoods or anything, and if you do, it's always like some it's always some story that a black artist had written. Well, I shouldn't say that because technically, uh, Black Lightning Year One was written by a white woman, I I believe. Uh, Jim Van Van Meter, yes. Yeah, who uh, talks about like Superman never calling for suicide. Also, calls. that Black Lightning was created by a white guy. Yes, he was also created by a white and guy. Luke Cage. And Luke Cage. And Luke Cage, yes. And Black, but, and Black, and Black Panther. And Black Panther. Actually, pretty much almost every, every black, black Almost every black uh, <laughs> character was created by a, a white guy, yes. But, right, Jack Kirby created Black Panther because he wanted to, uh, you know. He never saw his his friends because he had black friends. He never saw his friends' experiences in comics, so he decided to do that for himself, um, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, especially because you know he's a, a a Jewish a former Jewish soldier during World War Two. Um, what else? Uh, uh, Tony Isabella, right? He tons of black friends. The artist who helped co-create Black Lightning was a black man. So there's there's that too, um, but now here we are at the point of uh, Keith Knight having his rant at this uh, fake Comic Con. Uh, yeah, which is another thing I found really inaccurate. Golden Con it is like something like this would not exist today, because like comic conventions, especially San Francisco, they're either really big like WonderCon, APA, or they're really small like ZaneFest. It's yeah. like something that's kind of in the middle that doesn't exist anymore. Right. So, I mean, especially with fucking San Francisco because the uh, the rent is, is too damn high. Yeah. I was very, I made me chuckle in the very beginning that you see him living in an apartment, but it's in Chinatown, which is probably realistically where a guy like him in San Francisco could afford. Yeah. And, and you know, Chinatown's in like pretty crappy part of San Francisco, too. Uh, I say that as as I I visited San Francisco many times. It's right by the Tenderloin. I walked through the Tenderloin, not knowing it was a very dangerous part in the middle of the night. And my San Francisco friends were like, "You walk through the Tenderloin by yourself at like 11 at night?" It's like, "Yeah, why?" And then they were like very surprised that I didn't get bugged. Oh wow! I mean, well, I don't know. Uh... San Francisco doesn't give me big, uh, dangerous energy compared to like New York City. But then again, like I'm from New York City. Well, well, I think San Francisco and well, I mean, unless you go to Oakland, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the police are hassling you. Uh, San Francisco is more like uh, get out racism. 
Uh-huh. I think it's more likely to have people, you woke white people in San Francisco come up to you and say, hey, Phil, I just want you to know I voted for Obama. I would have voted for Obama. <laughs> the third time I oh, man. Which the show does get into. Um, it's not in one of the episodes we're going to talk about, but there's a really key arc in the middle, I think episode three and four. He does um, he does a project where he puts up posters of black people for rent, which, yes, is, what the actual, which is what the actual Keith Knight did. Uh, and uh, people took it very seriously. Yeah, he got a he got a wide range of reactions. Like he he was making this satirical poster about like you can rent black people, and he got a you know there's some people who were outraged. You know like oh this is racist. Some people got it. It's like oh yeah you're mocking racism. Mm. Uh, the one he was really shocked by there were white people who took it seriously and thought they actually could rent a black person, uh, which is like wow. And of course the show also spoofed itself. Which mm-hmm. may or may not have been true in that uh, uh, there were black people who signed up because they needed to make uh, <laughs> needed to make some scratch. I mean, the, which is crazy. So now we're at the end of the show where Keith walks away from Golden Con and he's feeling very reflective of what he's done, which essentially was implode his career. Um, as he walks back to the scene where he was uh, attacked by the police, and as he's there, he goes and meets the person who the police were actually looking for and he's like yo i'm sorry if you feel real bad blah 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 but like <laughs> i'm the one they're looking for hand over your stuff which i thought was uh i thought was hilarious yeah yeah he's patting him down to make sure he's not hiding any money <laughs> yeah like uh like i said like it, it does a good job of like you know Putting it tackling real issues as being dramatic and serious when it needs to be. Also, you know, that doesn't take itself seriously. And very importantly, like we've mentioned before, recognizes that black people and people of color are not a monolith. Yes. You know, they're not they're not all they're not all, you know, repressed people banding in solidarity against white people. You know, they're all they're all products of the system that keeps them down and forces to look out for themselves. You know, it's funny, like, re-watching this episode kind of reminds me of Infidel. Uh, in what sense? The idea of, like, you know, being able to see the racist demon in front of you that you weren't aware of. So it's like, you know, lifting that rose-colored glasses off of your face and being able to see the world for what it really is. So, like, that's that's going on there. And I wanted to mention, uh, what's his name? The guy who created Infidel, the writer, he does have a new comic. Oh yeah, yeah. The the Thai image that image editor whose name we keep butchering because yes, uh, porn sack. <laughs> porn sack. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's the comic? Uh, I, I think it's called Chinese Detective. Oh, you got you got me hooked right there <laughs> with the title. Yeah, I'm trying to look for it right now. In uh, and for Dell. Apparently, I can't spell. Uh, I I got it right this time. Where we go? All right, so. Uh, let's see, because I'm looking it up right now as we move on to the next episode. So let me go ahead and X out of this. Episode and we five, are on episode five. Yeah, okay. So the first episode, for those who want to keep track, episode one, the pilot, Rise of Broke. It's the title. Right. Episode five, Oakland Get Down. Uh, so let's fill in the blanks real quick, what happens in between. Uh, so he gets he gets with a girlfriend, uh, Keith, Keith Knight, K-E-F. Uh, white artist, I guess you would call her like a, a fine artist, or yeah, artist? she's a fine artist. She's uh, she's a painter. Yeah, 
uh, plays by Rose McIver from iZombie and uh, Power Rangers. <laughs> this is where RPM. <laughs> yeah, she was what, the Yellow Ranger? Uh, yes, yeah, she was the Yellow Ranger. Yeah. Uh, who, which is very funny because the Yellow Ranger was this prissy uh, rich girl who uh, had a bunch of rich friends and lived like this very wealthy lifestyle. And it wasn't until the the world imploded because of the computer virus that she realized her friends were very shallow and weren't and weren't worth anything and decided to become a better person. I will admit, uh, Phil is way more knowledgeable about the Power Rangers stuff than me. I kind of stopped after uh, Time Force. Uh, I peaked. I popped back in a little bit for Dino Thunder because Tommy showed up and Ninja Storm. But uh, yeah, we, there you go. We, we need to do a Power Rangers episode. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm with I'm with all yo like Boom Boom's uh Power Ranger uh book. Woo. Fire right now. Yeah, maybe maybe that will maybe we'll do it for free. We, we won't demand listeners uh to pay us money. Uh, uh I but I'm gonna have to get Netflix for that month. Uh, but anyways, he he's kind of in um. I wouldn't say he's quite. She's quite his girlfriend yet. I would. I say at this point, it's a little, it's a little kind of. Uh, they're kind of in between girlfriend and friends with benefits at this point. Right. And in, in the show, he's dealing with like the, the wrestling with the stuff of like dealing with a white girlfriend, the the fallout from the black people or rent black people for rent thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. Uh, okay. Set. So. Sorry, sorry to cut you off, but I no really had to look up this uh this book. So it's not called uh, Chinese Detective. It's called The Good Asian, but it's a detective. <laughs> I like this even more. So it's a yeah. Chinatown noir based uh taking place in the 1936 detective mystery featuring the first generation of Americans to come of age under an immigration ban, the Chinese. Oh, cool. Yeah, that sounds really good. I've seen like a few like stories and short films from Asian artists dealing with that type of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, that sounds really cool. And also, I personally want to do a story like that. So, you know, maybe I should read it. So let's see if I crib design, if you crib my idea. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, forgot. So he's doing, he's fall out from black people for rent. He's in this complicated relationship with uh, Rose McIver's character. And he gets, but well, he gets kind of a big break. He gets invited to this art salon in Oakland. Uh, this is my favorite episode of the series. <laughs> uh, it takes a lot of spruce of the arts world. Uh, and kind of the gentle way, the nice way of putting it is they don't think like you or me. Uh, they don't, they, they, you know, artists in that deep, fine arts world, they have a different way of looking at things for better and for worse. Yeah. Let's get, well, so let's get underway. Uh, you want to time it? Uh, okay. Let me, hold on. Let me go ahead. Because I have no idea how long. We're, we're into it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know either. I think this might be a two-hour episode, maybe. If it is, well, you know, too bad, listeners. Uh, <laughs> You're having fun. We're, having on, fun. We're, on, right. we're on quite the roller coaster here. Yeah, all right, so three, two, two one. one. Play. All right. So the thing I really enjoyed about this is that I, when I went to college, I went to uh, University of Redlands, California, Johnson Center. Uh, long story short, alternative learning program founded by literal hippies. Uh, really, really cool. I enjoyed it. Uh, it was one of my amazing experience. Uh, they professor while my four years there was a professor who actually did throw a salon. She had a class on it. Like every two years, like one of the things, one of the projects is that now you learn the history of like the salon, right? Which is a very important thing from uh, 
French culture. It was like where a lot of intellectuals meet and think and discuss. Mm-hmm. But also, like, they would actually throw and talk about topics. So uh, for me, I enjoyed seeing it. Uh, although this is they. To be fair, in college, they did, like, a real salon where people actually have real discussions as opposed to <laughs> what's being spoof. And, uh, and, and, and this and the and woke, right? Because uh, it's very... Okay, so the, the context for this episode, right, is, like, he feels like he's starting to bounce back. He created his Black People for Rent uh, uh, campaign, viral Yeah, his thing. project, viral campaign. Yeah, uh, like we mentioned before, there's very mixed reactions. A lot of people didn't understand what he was saying, and now they're really mad, and they're they're saying literally cancel Keith. Knight. Cancel Keith Knight. Yeah, which, which uh, another uh, thing that, like I said, it endeared me up to it. Like it's about woke culture, cancel culture. Um, I'm not gonna get onto the complicated. The thing I will say, it recognizes that's far more complex than people on Twitter like to think it is. You know, yeah. it's not it's not just conservatives whining about Gina Carano being canceled, <laughs> rightfully so. There are, you know, very reactionary people who are kind of misunderstanding something like the Keith Knight shows. I mean, anyway, which is very funny thinking about the, the Gina Carano thing, because it was like in the beginning, like Star Wars is getting woke. Look at look at this Gina Carano here, like trying to play this, you know, cool, badass woman like that doesn't make any sense. This is Star Wars. We don't have cool, badass women in Star Wars. And then now it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're firing Gina Carano. She was doing such great things in Star Wars from literally these same people. So, yeah, that, that's, I mean, that's that's the that's the thing. And, you know, she deserves it because uh, she Disney. I, re- I was reading about Disney Warner repeatedly. Stop doing this. And she can't do it anyway. Yeah. Uh, but like a more, you know, there's like, but something more of like there are like, you know, Palestinian activists or pro-Palestinian academics. They get, they get, they they get tried. They're, you know, they people try to cancel them successfully sometimes by like pro-Israel people accusing them of being anti-Semitic when they're not being anti-Semitic. They're just critical of the Israeli government. Uh, now that I've said that, we're probably gonna get canceled for real now. Oh God. Get somebody like probably the three listeners. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how. Like, I mean, we're not we're not saying anything wrong. We're just talking about like you know the idea of saying something without having to be offensive. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, advocating for any of these people. We're just saying the idea of looking at it from a different point of view, right? Not everything. It's, it's that's... also that there's a thing. I think there's a dangerous mob mentality. There like, is. Like, Twitter is not a tool for social change. Like, this is not social change in my opinion. No. You know. There's many, many more deeper thinkers who have thought about this. I highly recommend you go read some of the smart news. Aisha Aishi Akebi is one I follow on Twitter. She gives a very good talk about cancel culture and kind of the complexities and dangers of being reactionary. That's really where I'm kind of. I think being reactionary is just never a good idea, right? Yeah. Like I said, like Keith Knight illustrates that. Uh, like these people, you know, they, they like these people who. And the other thing he points out, like, all these, like, woke white people and black people trying to cancel him, where were they when he was getting, you know, when the police had him? Yeah, exactly. Like I said, woke is, uh... Wait, 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 so the show started for me because I was on commercial. Are you you still on commercial? The commercial just ended. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, Also, I do like he talks about, uh, I do like Rosen Kiver's Adrian, I think that's her name. Adrian, yeah. I, I do like her arc in that she... She has a similar 
a different but similar artistic conflict that she made like this piece that got uh she talked about like it went viral on instagram because uh the singer pink liked it and it actually got her famous and gave her a little bit of money but she's been trying to replicate it ever since then ever since then yeah so she's stuck in a rut of like how can i achieve that same greatness which to be completely honest that is like the 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 uh, the the big fear for artists right for visual artists is that once they hit, they feel like, okay, cool, I did this one thing that was super successful. How do I recreate that magic? And then from there, because it's like the idea of like, oh my God, I'm stuck. I and don't then, know. Yeah, you're, how to you're keep trapped doing by this. your success. You're trapped by your success, and you, you know, you want to do this thing that's giving you, you know, financially and culturally giving you incentive, but like you feel like you lost your voice. Right. I will say, on one hand, I'm very sympathetic towards that. On the other hand, as a struggling artist uh, who, you know, worked multiple jobs before the pandemic and then got laid off for a little from the pandemic, I'm just like, I, I would say that's a problem I would be glad to have right now. Yeah, well, I mean, Especially yes, as we feel right now. now, we're trying to pitch our project to multiple agents and we've got, uh, let's just say, some very dumb rejections. Uh, oh, yeah, now they're talking about Wakanda, which I enjoy. Uh, yeah, and the effect of Black Panther, this big cultural milestone, like everyone's referencing Wakanda now. Yeah. Which, personally, as someone who's been a longtime reader of Black Panther and of, of Marvel Comics, I do appreciate that it's in the popular lexicon now. Yes, it's, it's crazy, though, because, like, thinking about it, like, Black Panther was very unknown, like, very less than 10 years yeah. ago. Less than 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, you know, he's he's become an A-lister. I mean, yeah, which nice. is always the, the the beautiful part about these movies is that, like, they take very obscure uh, comic characters and make them A-listers. Though, I will I will say that Falcon will never be an A-lister. Uh, I think, I think, I mean, we can go into all the thing. I think the whole ABC list is a bullshit, a bunch of bullshit. But. It, it is, but at the same time, though, like, you can tell, like, oh, this character is an A-lister because they appear in every single freaking book just like uh what's it called just like wolverine wolverine appeared as an avenger a fantastic four member and an x-men and it had his own solo series uh yeah this is the salon now he, now he's getting to the actual salon <laughs> yes uh, and now he's the 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 brown paper bag is telling him he's not he's not black enough <laughs> yeah i thought that was hilarious that litmus test yeah. Uh, that's the other thing I really appreciate about Wolf. It's you know racism is bad. White people suck. But it's also it's not it's not black and white literally that there are issue there are divisions within black culture and other people of color as well. Exactly. Because like, like, another great joke is that he's never heard he's never heard of Tanahishi. He's Tanahishi Coates, right? To the point where he doesn't even know how to pronounce his name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh it's complicated. You know. I can tell you right now, especially living in Portland, I've had more than a few woke white people talk down to me about being Asian. So, <laughs> despite the fact it's the white, literally the whitest city in the country. Like the uh, only time they will talk to an Asian person is when they're ordering uh, Thai Chinese food. food. Oh, no God. Thai food, not even Chinese food. Thai food. Oh, Thai food. Oh wow. No, I, th- I think I think more, I would argue well, I would argue uh, white. Oh, I'll say white people. They prefer Thai food over Chinese food. No, do they? I, I guess uh, is Thai. Would you say like Thai food is the new like it thing? 
Well, it's like that joke. They always have a running joke. Like, what? Like, what's a white people think? Sushi. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of thing. Uh, uh, but when they, when they sushi, it's like, they, like maybe California rolls. Right? Uh, not, not real sushi. Uh, and I say this as someone who, like, loves eating octopus rolls. I've had, like, cut raw octopus on my sushi, and it's quite tasty. Oh, uh, well. I personally cannot get behind raw fish because it's raw. What and... is? You are lost. Second... It's like, it's like, like, we're, like He's also, he can't do fish. No, I can eat fish. I can't eat raw fish. This is a completely different thing. Uh, well, I, I, I'm gonna, I, I was gonna give you more shit there. Realize, oh, maybe it's a, it's maybe it's my, my, my privilege talking, right? Because you know, like I just talk about white people liking sushi. Like maybe, maybe you know, most Black Americans aren't able to afford to go to sushi joints. Um, maybe I don't know. My wife, she she loves sushi. Okay. I don't like sushi. I I will eat it, but I won't like it. Okay. Oh, so here we go. She's he. So Keith Knight is showing the drawing. Uh, it's drawing inspired by the earlier scene with him and Adrian. They're both on their swings. They're both on the swing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and he's showing off his woke knowledge about swing. Swing music being invented by the Harlem Renaissance. She goes like, yeah, everyone knows that. <laughs> as in she, as in um, uh, the SNL characters. I really yeah, I, I can't, I can't remember her name either. Um, but yeah, Ayana, Ayana, played by Sashir Zamita. Oh, uh, there we go. So yes, so the idea of trying to get an understanding. And now I'm at a commercial. Oh really? No, no commercial for me. This is really weird. I'll uh-huh. pause it. For, I'll pause it for you. Uh, I got 17 seconds left, so. Okay. Uh, but this is where I, this is where the really gets the part I really enjoy. Uh, so the salon is run by, in the fictional story, the universe of woke. The salon is run by this very preeminent black arts critic named uh, Dark Noir. Dark. Uh, Dark. D a r q u e Noir. Yes. Uh, it's a commercial done for you yet? Yes, it is. Now, right, so. now it's Clovis talking to the artist who put the uh, couch in the house. Okay, you're a little further than me, but whatever. Uh, so Dark Noir, this black arts critic, and he uh, has a reputation for being super harsh. They make a couple jokes that, like, uh, he, Ryan Coogler uh, did an early screening of Fruitvale Station. Dark Noir made him cry. No. <laughs> and, and also that, like... Uh, my Angelou, the big, the big joke, my favorite joke. Now the commercial picks in for me. Oh, oh okay. He said that my Angelou uh, was, uh, gave him a bad, she gave, uh, he gave, they gave my Angelou a bad review and she died 10 days later. Yeah, and just like, and the keep goes like, uh, that's not why she died. Uh, Ayana goes, are you sure? <laughs> but yeah, Dark Noir, he's like pretty much, um, he's like the stereotypical like really trying to figure out how to describe it like super artsy arts critic that i think for people who don't know the arts world just seems like a kind of a silly stereotype or caricature right. <laughs> but if you talk to anyone who knows that i was like no these these people are real uh <laughs> velvet if you want to get an idea of what i'm talking about watch uh, velvet buzzsaw on netflix yes i which i need to see yeah and i'm told from people in the arts, like I'm only like arts world adjacent because I did, I you know went to a comics grad school, but like you know there's full people who've been in the arts world uh, and people I who said like 
the characters in Velvet Buzzsaw, like they're only a mild exaggeration. <laughs> but not that but not that far off. I'm kind of curious. I mean, like, well, I mean your wife would know this world better than any of us, right? I would assume. She would know. She probably knows feeling like Dark Noir, I assume, right? Uh probably. Alright, so the show now now he's now he's I I'm catching him. Now he's talking to uh the cat his friend on the couch. Okay. Chloe was talking to the guy on the couch. Woman on the couch. Oh yeah, I really I really enjoyed this too. Like she he's just trying to have a conversation and she's trying to get him to pose in a certain way because the couch is her installation project. Yeah. And like he 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 fits it. And this is again, I think people who don't know the arts world think this is just ridiculous. But no, this is how they actually think. Yeah. I've and been to a couple I've been to a couple like installation art shows in Portland and yeah, they get really kind of weird like that. Weird being the most charitable way of putting it. And then the other uh, subplot that's going on is the, uh, what is it? The, <laughs> yes, uh, the threesome that's about to happen. Or Guther is rather, she's trying to get to a threesome with uh, this. Well, it's not like it's not like he's trying. Is that they're coming on to him and he's just like, oh, what? What's happening? Whoa. Yeah, personally, I, I was not a fan of the subplot. I thought it was the least interesting thing. Of the uh, whole show. And yeah, here we go. We got uh, Clovis hitting on Ayana again. Yes, as uh, she finally tells uh, Clovis that she's gay and she's looking at her girlfriend of a very long time um, flirting with somebody else. Uh, so that was the... And this is new to Clovis, but this was re- she. This was revealed to the viewer in an earlier episode, which is one of my favorite uh, cutaways mm. uh, in the show. It's like... Um, uh, one of the complications of the fallout from Black People for Rent is that Keith Knight, he, you know, the next morning after with Adrian, Adrian, she's putting on one of his shirts and it says Black People for Rent. And he gets really weirded out by a white woman <laughs> wearing a Black <laughs> People for Rent shirt. And then she goes to talk to, he goes to talk about uh, Ayana the next day. And she's able to guess right away before he to tell her, like, oh, yeah, you saw some white woman using your art in a weird way. It's like, yeah, how do you know? They cuss to her. They cuss to her. One of her ex-girlfriends, a white woman wearing black wives. Black lives. Black wives matter. Black yeah. lives matter. <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious. And she's like, "Yeah, I've been there." Oh man. There we go. Now Keith Knight's talking with Dark Noir, which is this is great. I I just love uh, this character and his his pompous dialogue. <laughs> He's a really good actor, too. I looked him up. The guy who plays Dark Noir. Dark Noir, right. Yeah, I... It's Nathan Lee Graham. I uh, I mean, look at his movie list. is really bad, because Hollywood doesn't know what to do with talented black actors. He was a Zoolander. No, they really don't. He was a Zoolander, apparently. Oh, really? I would have to rewatch it again. The first, yeah. Reason both of them. But yeah, he's like... Uh, Nathan Lee Graham, he's a comedian. Uh... Well, I just one off. I get the feeling he's probably like comedian, theater actor that does TV and movies to pay for, you know, theater. Into theater, which, yeah, which makes sense. Yeah, you look at like his IMDb and whatnot. There's just a lot of like really random one offs, like Law and Order. Yeah. Thinking of. <laughs> he oh was, my uh, gosh. He he did he played two guest stars of Law and Order SVU. Nathan Lee Grant. He, he I think he just captures the art. The art critic thing perfectly. I think you can tell Keith Knight uh, just knows that world very, very well. Yeah. And then uh, what's it called? The 
so Keith, after talking to the art critic Dark Noir, runs into the bathroom and has a conversation with his marker where he's like, oh my god, this the art critic is tired of seeing white faces in art. I, I need to do something and decides to give his girlfriend blackface. Yeah, and what I mean is that the, the white woman in his cartoon, he just inks over her face and makes it black. Yes. And the way like, it's just her face, the rest of the body the is The rest still of the white. body is, is still white. You know, it's a very silly Sakami way of, of dealing with this this cultural pressure, which I get where Dark Noir is coming from, and uh, personally, I agree with him in some respect, but uh, <laughs> this is like, this is like the cartoon in itself is innocuous. Uh, at least I think so. And Keith Knight is just kind of overreacting. Oh yeah, Salon, it's also called Salon du, Salon du Noir, which is also <laughs> so. Uh, which, if you know French, I believe that means Salon of Black. Yes, yeah, Salon of Black. Which, <laughs> this is absurd. Uh, uh, I, took French, I took French in high school and I forgot most of it. But uh, yeah, I, t- I took French in high school as well. But then when I went to Paris, uh, I was obsessed. So I decided to do uh, Duolingo to uh, to learn some French. Oh yeah, you could you could have been there, Dark Noir. Uh, I'd rather not. Also, the other the other joke for people who don't know, Noir in French means black. So his name is Dark. If you really think of it as Dark Black. Dark Black. Yeah. Yeah. more joke on The Boys, another good show on Amazon where they have a superhero named Black Noir. Black Noir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, here we go. Then we have. Uh, the other artists are giving their presentations, yes. which are kind of kind of silly and stupid. Because uh, again, they're the, the fine arts abstract world. It's very strange, you know, how the arts world has evolved because it's got more abstract over time. That was an ad for me. I don't know about you, Phil. Uh, it was the ad just ended, so now oh. it's it's showing the All right, it's showing probably, the abstract probably, art. Yeah, you should probably pause it there. Yeah, that's what I just did. Because right, like. He, he just hugged his girlfriend. Fuck. There we go. Fuck Hulu. Corporate <laughs> wokeness, but yet, you know what? You know, if you really wanted to be, you would stop interrupting this, this, your black you know, TV show about woke culture with your stupid ads. <laughs> also, you would not have canceled High Fidelis starring Zoe Sada, uh, starring, uh not Zoe Sadama. Uh, uh, Zoe Kravitz. Zoe Kravitz. Yeah, there you go. You know what? You really want to show your woke? Bring back Underground. Oh, wow. yo, yeah, Hulu, do it. You got the money. Bring back Underground. <laughs> yeah, give me, give me just one season, right? Edit on a cliffhanger. <laughs> John Legend, make it happen. <laughs> yes, you, John Legend. Or, um, I'm trying to, the guy, uh, what's his name? Euphoria is, uh, Sam Levinson? Uh, no, 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 no. One of the producers is, uh, big, uh, what's it, uh, Drake. Drake is a producer on Euphoria. Wait, really? Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't seen Euphoria, so wow. Uh, good crazy. show, good show. But like, uh, yeah, Drake, Drake, bring back, bring back Underground. <laughs> See, both and yo, John Legend, Drake, y'all both have enough money to fund a, a season and a half. Make it happen. Oh yeah, there we go. Uh, uh, or a movie, at least a movie, at least the wrap up at least ends. All right, so two seasons and a movie. We gotta, we gotta. Uh, All right, you did do, a, do an ad. All right, do an ad campaign like the uh, like they did for a Community. Six yeah, seasons exactly. and six seasons and a movie. Although I've heard the six seasons pretty bad. It w- it was bad because oh you watched it I never I, I watched watch. the first two episodes but I did enjoy it. it had Keith David in it so that's the only reason why I watched it but you know it's Yahoo or yeah it was anything that's gonna make Yahoo is doomed to failure. <laughs> See um, like does Yahoo still even have a streaming service? No, no. Okay, that, that, that killed it actually. Community and all these other things they 
they because they, you know they had to pay a lot. They, the blind community wasn't cheap, so. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. So the other thing, the art, the abstract art presentation, it's some kind of installation of discarded IKEA discarded materials. IKEA materials. <laughs> yeah. So for people who think we're just ragging, we're just a bunch of like comic artists ragging on snobby uh, fine artists. Uh, I'm gonna point out something we learned in our professional practice class by Melanie Gilman. Uh, Melanie Gilman had a thing about art grants and how comic people should be applying for art grants. And to help drive the point further, they pointed out like this is the type of stuff that's getting art grants, which is uh, an art installation of a chair leaning against the wall <laughs> held up by a hammer. You know, and Melanie pointed out like. Yeah, this stuff literally getting you know ten twenty grand for this. You know, and if you if people who make stuff like that can get ten to twenty grand, you know, working comic artists like the rest of us deserve at least that much. If you really if you really want to, the perfect example, look up uh, listeners the uh, banana being taped banana to the being wall. taped to the wall. Yeah, yeah. and being sold for a hundred hundred k each. <laughs> I was literally triggered when I read about that. This is like. That yeah, it's just uh, anyway. That's why yeah, support your local support your local comic store. For the comic artists, do not buy bananas taped to a wall for hundred k. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there we go. That conversation with uh, Clovis on Hyena. Uh, some more stuff with them. Like Hyena is having some ex girlfriend issues. Uh, yeah. Something I do I do like they reveal later on because you made it seem like they make it seem like she's like kind of was treated badly by her ex-girlfriend, you know, and she's being really petty and jealous. And it's revealed that uh, she was cheating on she her girlfriend. She was cheating on her girlfriend, yeah. Yeah, which, uh, yeah. again, you know, uh, people are not a monolith, all groups are monolith, and there are no modern minorities, which I enjoy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, he does a very good job. Like, you know, these are, like, he's not, you know, you feel bad for him. He's a victim. But he's also, he's definitely not a perfect person. Mm. He does a lot of screw-ups. Mostly play for comedy. Everyone, you know, they're all play for comedy. Of course. Which which is nice because the idea... Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> it's because it's the next piece is... I, 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 I say that because the next piece is a guy with just a mirror on his face in order to transform the space. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which, which is just so corny. But, I mean, that's, it's a part of the joke. You know, the idea of, like, dunking on fine art. Because, I mean, like, yes, this is a very 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 funny bad interpretation of fine arts but i i enjoy fine arts and i say this as someone who teaches art history um that like you know we there's there's there is a nice middle ground like sometimes you do have art that's like out there and and it it doesn't have to make sense but it's like at the same time it's like why did you think of this um and other times you just have like brilliant works like my my favorite artist is like uh keith herring basquiat uh Eugene Delacroix, you know things like that. Yeah, but the thing is that like when you when your art project is, I'm gonna hold hold a mirror in front of myself and point out to mirror critics' hypocrisy. That's kind of an insult to like real artists. Here you go, Keith is giving his presentation. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, which shows his which is showing his friend as a caveman, uh, trying to chase after a wheel. Point out a important thing, like comics. For a long time, and still today, I've kind of struggled to gain respect in the arts world. You know, um, I think especially in, in the time he was making comics, 
for sure. Now it's gotten a little bit better in some areas, but some areas not so much. Right. To be fair, though, uh, the comics he's pointing out are kind of dumb. So, <laughs> uh, in, 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 this, in this bit. They are, yes. Because now he's showing off these comics, which are based off of his friends, of course. And then the last uh, thing he wants to reveal is the one of him and his girlfriend on the swing. And he doesn't want to reveal it because, surprise, surprise, his girlfriend shows up and is trying to, you know, watch. So he gives into the peer pressure of them going, come on, you know, and cheering him on, and he shows it. And it's, it's, it's something. It don't mean a thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Although I think I'm a little bit behind because they're, they're ragging him on right now. They're, he's now he's about, now he's turning it over. Oh, now he's turning it over. Okay. Yeah. So, so now, uh, Ayana looks at him like, yo, what just happened? Uh, Adrian is like, wow. Okay. And, walks out and he's explaining what's going on and dark noir takes it at face value as well as interpreting a deeper meaning to it yeah so like everyone is kind of rightfully horrified or like very befuddled by like this is really stupid and it does a great subversion expectation because they set up dark noir as really harsh critic (laughs) and then he actually joins it on this deeper level that that everyone else uh, either goes over your head or only he gets. It. He goes on oh, this whole thing yeah. about like at the complexities of toxic. Oh, the deep statement on the complexities of toxic toxic, toxic masculinity, right? Because the idea of it's not really like truly blackface, but like it's just a unfacial feature of the female figure because female because uh, femininity is the future, and so it's supposed to be uh, also at the same time because it's black over uh, a face covered in complete blackness is the idea of black on black love but i mean which, clearly, also, which of course is that was not what keith Knight was trying to do at all yeah not 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 in the least bit yeah but like he saved he's kind of saved by pure luck because the art critic liked it everyone else liked it. <laughs> yes so which I thought, they, like i just it just occurred to me now i think that's an interesting dichotomy to the uh cancel keith knight black people for rent because like they misinterpret it the wrong way and he's misinterpreting it, but like in a way that works out for him. Yeah, it works out for him, right? So it's essentially stumbling into success with his comic, comics and art. It's nice. It's a little more sophisticated if you have on the surface. Uh, and of course, you know, if you check out Keith Knight's actual comics, they're they're far better than what he makes. <laughs> fictional version makes in the show. Yes, because I right. mean, again, these comics are meant to drive home plot. Yep. Uh, so that's two episodes of Woke on Hulu. Which all episodes are available now. Uh, it got renewed for a season two. It got renewed for season two, yeah. I'm very happy about who knows when we're gonna get it because of COVID. So uh, I'm sure I doubt. I don't think they announced a filming date, but hopefully we'll get it. If not later this year, then next year. Mm. Uh, highly recommend people check it out. Uh, and you, if you do, if you do like it, definitely check out his comics, Keith Knight. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I thought this was kind of fun. I mean, we'll never do a Hulu show again because commercials. But. Yes, uh, we wouldn't do a Hulu show. Uh, probably the next the next show we would do has would probably be uh, I, don't, I don't know what Power Rangers because uh, or, you, you, it would be, probably be something like HBO Max because you know they have all the they have the Boondocks they have the DC stuff. Yeah, that works too. Yeah, I would love to do a Boondocks. I would love to do Boondocks personally. Uh, yes, I would love to do Moondocks as well. As well, uh, the, what's it called? That new, the new Batman movie, Soul of a Dragon. I would, I would love to watch that. Oh, I watched it. 
How is it? It was not bad. It was not okay. bad. All it right. was um what I liked about it is that Batman it's called Batman Soul the Dragon, but he's not really the main character. Uh or if it's more of an ensemble, or actually probably Richard Dragon is the is the real main character. Richard Dragon would be the main character. Okay. Yeah. And plus they made Richard Dragon Asian, which honestly made more sense to me. So uh, Yeah, it, it it really does compared to how he is in the comics where he's either a white guy or he's an Asian guy. I mean, uh, not an Asian guy, a uh, uh, Latino guy. Latino guy. Because, because the Arrow version was yeah. popular, Cause, cause but his not name really. Is, his name is Ricardo Diaz Jr. Which is really bizarre because that nobody liked that season of Arrow <laughs> or that or that character. But that's not a hinder there. Uh, I think that's a wrap on Woke and Hulu. If you like this, please let us know. We can do. We'll be happy to do more. If you didn't like it, uh, let us know, and I guess we'll we'll pretend this never existed. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and still do it again because you know <laughs> it, it can only go up from here. Yeah, exactly. Sure. So let's see. Hi, Eric Wong. I'm Full Fleming. And we are woke, I guess. I guess we're woke. Yeah, because normally we use TV references, and this was a TV show we watched. So yeah, I guess we are woke. Open your third eye, stupid. <laughs> <laughs>